0: All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. So good to see you all and happy new year. Uh, What an exciting day we have for you insiders. Uh, This is the first of a new series that we are affectionately referring to as insiders you should know. Um, and I think I probably am doing disservice to everyone else by bringing the best new insider you should know to the very first episode. So it may only be downhill from here, but that's des- definitely not Chelsea's problem or anyone else's problem who, who's tuned in today. It's everybody who's going to join after her um, and their challenge to pick that mantle up. But. Uh, Super excited that you were here, uh, pumped to be in a new space. So last time we were in uh, this video, if you will, uh, or audio format, depending on how you're listening to this, we were in our old studio and that was the sunset of five years of recording there. Kind of had a little sentimental tear. We might have poured one out while we were over there, but uh, we, uh, we did close the doors, what we refer to as the fork location. Um, and uh, that that place has uh, now moved into the past of, of Invo Solutions, as well as this podcast. And uh, we are in our new space today. We, we've just recently at relocated in the last two weeks over the holidays. We'll get into that possibly about how that was the worst decision to move over the holidays, but uh, we are here um, and uh, we are excited. Uh, so welcome to Studio C, and this is the home of the new Podcast recording studio. Um, we'll we'll get into a little bit about what that looks like uh, during our time together. But we are launching a new series referred to as Insiders You Should Know. Um, and what does that mean? And, and so for for those of you that are regulars, that what what the Insiders You Should Know series is going to be about. Um, Thought leaders, innovators, influencers, people that we have determined that would be beneficial to be within your network or your sphere as a community financial partner. Um, And it might be because they're doing things that would be helpful or influential for you in strategic planning, in thoughts or considerations of innovation, uh, partners, people that could bring in expertise to you, uh, maybe assistance with strategic planning, security, security, Uh, branch design, different things. And we're going to go down a path as we already have a full year of guests lined up for this. Uh, But we are coming out of the gate as strong as is possible today. Uh, But before I introduce uh, Chelsea to you, I've got to tell a story on Chelsea. So uh, it's going to be a little bit of a a moment of weakness for me. I'm going to get a little vulnerable here uh was attending a conference this fall with one of our strategic partners in nashville tennessee uh shout out to uh, cspi if emily is tuned in here um and in the team over there but uh was 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 asked to come and participate uh was asked to speak to the audience on a main stage at a general session and uh something i'm not uncomfortable with um i love to do that did that a number of times this year with large audiences and that does not stress me out but What I found myself was actually being stressed out as I watched the opening uh, speaker step on the stage. And uh, I'm like, okay, I'll read the bio. I'm like, it's already intimidating enough. We've got someone who is an industry expert, someone who has graduated from West Point Military Academy, who served in the Army for five years, owns and runs her own company. And then she steps on stage and Uh, shouts at the audience to get their attention, to which everyone like goes into military mode and sits up straight and focuses for a solid hour. Um, I found myself just engaged in paying attention and uh, also responding. And it wasn't even for me. I was just a guest that was attending. I wasn't even one of the audience members, um, to which she stepped off the stage to standing ovation. And then they introduced me as if I was the guy should bring the, the broom up to clean the stage. Like I had nothing to say or contribute out that. So I even text my wife. I'm like, this is the most intimidated I've ever been to walk on stage. And it was following the person you're about ready to meet. So, uh, that is a, hopefully the most inter- interesting introduction that you will get this year, at Chelsea. But we want to welcome Chelsea Trebaniak to the podcast today. Uh, her credentials, I just shared a little bit of that. She is an unbelievable, interesting um, industry expert, uh, and she's got all kinds of gold for us today. So I'm going to quit talking. I'm going to hand it over to Chelsea. Chelsea, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, Jake, and thank you for such a warm introduction. I feel like, just like you said, downhill from here, I have a lot to live up to on the podcast, so perhaps um, I'll I'll, I'll level the playing field at this point. Jake came on the stage and knocked it out of the park. He had Kahoot rolling. He even had prizes. Who doesn't want a Yeti? So by all means, you definitely performed outside of what you said, way above. It was wonderful. So I'll I'll give you the praise right back.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think what you also revealed there is if you have nothing to say, you just give things away so that people pay attention.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm a huge fan of prizes, and especially with the Getty, I have three boys, mm. and there's a lot of traveling that goes around. So if you give me a killer cup, I will rock that at any sporting adventure I am at. No problem. No problem. Just don't make it nice. spill. So if it's like one of those I'm kind of klutz, the chance of me yeah. spilling it is high. It's got to be a killer cup.
0: Yeah, you, know, you got a house of boys. I'm I'm assuming that spick and span and tidy isn't necessarily the name of the game anyway, so you're probably all right if you do spill anything.
1: So I've got we're gonna to take rev-
0: we're gonna take care of you though, because as a as a guest and as a new insider, we actually have one of these Yetis coming your way. So it's got a yes. cool little insider logo on it. So uh, we expect you to put that to use and, and definitely uh stress test that thing.
1: I got you covered. I'll give you feedback too, no problem. I
0: love it. <laughs> I love it. Chelsea, why don't we jump in with you sharing a little bit of your story? And uh, when I say share your story, I think it's great for everyone here to get a little bit of an opportunity to hear about your background. Um, I kind of hit the bullet points version of that, but I would love for you to get into as much detail as you would like sharing your 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 education, even where you grew up, if you would like your background leading up into where you're at today. Um, and then we'll and then we'll, we'll pause talk a little bit about your company.
1: Sure. So start the monologue. Here we go. No, I actually was born in Maine, but moved to Minnesota and grew up in northern Minnesota. So the folks who have actually heard of Thief River Falls, Minnesota, kudos to you. I'm, impre- I'm incredibly proud of you. But it's about 45 minutes from the Canadian border. And when you nice. rewind about 40 years, you can quickly see that when we said snowed in, you truly got snowed in to your house to the point of, wow, we can't open the door until it warms up a little bit. So, needless to say, grew up, I have five brothers and a sister, and in that tiny little house, my my dad actually ran the college, the technical college, and my mom has been a nurse for over 50 years, oh, wow. so she was able to take care of us, and my dad educated us, so the Snowden days weren't truly off. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I laugh because, uh, yes, five brothers and a sister, a total of nine years apart, and there's no twins in there. So... Ooh. But, Oak, oh, yeah, I'm telling you, Jake, and we're all super competitive. So when it's like, let's play football in the living room, you better move everything because it's a full-fledged football game in the living room.
0: (laughs) Oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. There better be family videos. Your dad better had the old VHS camcorder out for this. Oh,
1: yeah, like propped on the shoulder. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, and we converted them since, too. So it's a regular where those (laughs) videos will make, like, forget the movies. You've just got a highlight reel right there. (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
0: All I can picture is the four Christmases at the first. I don't know if you remember that movie with Vince Vaughn.
1: I don't know that one as well as I should, oh, but I need I'm to, sending to I'm okay. sending it to you. I'm sending it to you.
0: His brothers are all MMA fighters, so he goes home and gets destroyed as soon as they get home for Christmas. This is what I'm picturing in your oh, house you with your it. brothers.
1: You nailed it. And I think the funnier part is is that as we grew up, it was always like in the basement, kind of the theme of, can you do X number of push-ups? We had a little pull-up bar. We even had a punching bag. So who can actually stand and punch the bag the longest uh, our, probably my best story, though, has nothing to do with athletics. And that's we decided we were going to put a milk dud on the wall and then take turns. And you had to watch the milk dud so we could determine when it was going to fall off the wall. And what? yes. Oh, trust me. Like probably one of the dumber things you could do. So here's <laughs> us thinking it's going to happen, you know, like within the hour. So we're rotating every five minutes. You had to come up and sit and watch the milk dud and make your observations, et cetera. So this goes on for the entire day and there's no movement on the Milk Dud at all. So after the day, we're like, well, maybe we like make it longer segments. I'll make the long story very short. The Milk Dud is still on the wall today, almost 40 years later. Get out of here. (laughs) Needless to say, paint around the Milk Dud, you can see the layers of paint that are there. But when we go to sell the house eventually, that milk dud is punched on the wall and has not moved observations have ceased <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's incredible that is incredible
1: yes so that, fast forwarding from there i grew up in thief river falls uh did a lot of stuff in the winter time obviously it's the home of articat digikey some of those big name manufacturers mm-hmm. but close community we had 8,000 people total in the city i grew up in so everybody knew each other and when they saw the Havlins, was my maiden name out rollerblading, it was obvious that the seven of us, if you're going to get to where you were going, you better grab your rollerblades and get there because there's no way you're driving seven people different locations. Oh, wow. Yes. So great time growing up. We obviously knew the whole city, which was fun. I lived across the street from the mayor. Um, so it was just a nice feeling to understand and appreciate the value of relationships, mm. which I think, anymore in society and especially post COVID, we've mm. almost had to train people to appreciate that feel and the value of a handshake and looking someone square in the eye. And I take a lot of pride in forcing people outside of their comfort zone to appreciate it, but also forcing people to remind themselves of how important that was and how we grew up and how important it remains to this day despite technological advancements in the digital society we're raising. So, so true. I share that from Thief River Falls because that was probably the biggest nugget I gained there. The other side of it was truly sports, super into sports, huge athletics, uh, f- athletic family. My passions have always been, I kind of rotated seasons, which I found it was a bit unique in the seasons we had that swimming and diving was actually a fall, late summer fall sport, okay. which was my specialty. And okay. I transitioned to basketball and then ran track. Oh, so wow. I kind of had the, the gamut to play with.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You just went one right into the next.
1: Yes. And, and yeah. it was interesting because the most pain was going from swimming to basketball because it's a different style of breathing. Oh, yeah. And no joke, I've never been more winded on a basketball court than those first two weeks of really conditioning in my life. That's the worst one.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's interesting because you think the cardiovascular build that you would have created during swimming or well, during the pool time would transition, but you're using your legs, obviously, in a much different way. Um, going from no impact to to serious impact that 's probably what it was oh That's absolutely,
1: and I the swimmers you meet that are good runners turn into triathletes, yeah, other than yep. that, your swimmers are not running.
0: Are you doing any of that still today? you carrying any of that sport forward?
1: I want to say yes i 'll tell the, you know the story of essentially I qualified for the world class athlete team for triathlon and then got my orders to go train because it was under the army that I qualified. Mm-hmm. I got my orders to train, and as quick as I was handed them, I got them swapped out to go to Afghanistan. So it was a little bit of a kick in the shin and kind of ended the professional competition side of the house, but that's okay. Everything happens for a reason, and it was one of those where I didn't really come back to it other than doing an Ironman upon redeployment and then haven't really competed since that.
0: Nice. Do you still run today?
1: I do. I love running, and I know right. it's terrible on your knees, your body, your hips, your joints, but there's something about a good run where you're, like, afterwards going, not only can I eat anything I want right now and technically yeah. shouldn't because kind of, it negates the purpose, but I just love running.
0: Yeah. I have I have, a, I have a saying I'll share with you, and you can decide if you want to adopt this or not, but I, I say I work out so I can eat out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm adopting it. Wouldn't it be like the best job when I retire? I'm going to be a food critic because I love food. And if it (laughs) has a different flavor, I mean, and I don't need to add salt to it. Amen to you. I will try it. No problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I found most good athletes that I talk to that are, are also foodies in one way or another. And I think it's because they've had to become so accustomed to fueling the machine that you become somewhat of a connoisseur, regardless of what that is. But uh, definitely, I think those two things are related.
1: Oh, for sure. And I recently got involved, or involved, how sad is it? I re- relate to food like an involvement.
0: Um <laughs> well, there's a relationship there.
1: <laughs> but the, the infused olive oils. Like, mm. I had a bacon-infused olive oil the other day. I put that stuff on everything. It was wonderful. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: you, you had me at bacon.
1: Oh, yeah, all day so, long.
0: You're good. Uh, but fast
1: forwarding now so outside of thief river uh, i came down to sports went very well for me i won four state titles in diving and set the record for diving so it was one of those where diving stood out as i was a gymnast my entire upbringing it stood out as probably one of those spaces where you should pursue diving despite it being the least exciting of the sports but if you dive, you can kind of pair it with swimming. So at least you get the cardio side and you can still mm-hmm. run on the side. Yeah. Um, so I looked at multiple schools and did a lot of the Junior Olympics, et cetera, growing up and kind of had a, a great opportunity to go to any Division One I, I really wanted to go to. So mm-hmm. we had a binder and this is back in the day where you actually had the landline phones, you know? And, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So it would ring. everybody, especially my brothers, would hope it was that that young lady calling to make sure it was for them, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but any college that called, you had to record it and then write down what the opportunity or offer was. Wow. So it was fun because you come to the binder after school and be like, oh, okay. You know, like, I, I I like this one. I like their colors. You know, so maybe I go there. <laughs> um, but it was fun because we did it. We did almost make it an adventure on where do you want to go to college. And the funny part is, is with five brothers, my mom's greatest fear was the military, mm. that those boys would choose to go the military right route. My dad's a Marine Corps veteran. Okay, um, served in Vietnam. So yeah. awesome. in the back of her mind, it was one of those. You know. Um. So needless to say, I came home and always there was never anything in there about the military she kind of screened those calls out of fear knowing that that her daughter's not going to do this sure i got to prevent the boys (laughs) Mm -hmm, sure so christmas comes along and this is of christmas of 2000 and uh we're chatting and talking about you know where do you want to go etc well my dad picks up the phone and it happens to be west point and he starts talking with the folks and they're like Oh, so you started in the military, et cetera. It goes down this whole path. Well, needless to say, he's not sugarcoat, and He's like, she should consider this for sure and writes it down in the book. Yeah. Well, come Christmas, my sister got a karaoke machine. We plugged that thing in and everybody had to take a moment to go stand at the karaoke machine and explain why West Point was not a great fit. And that should not be one of the visits you go on.
0: Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah. So you with daughters, I'm sure karaoke went from that style and then turns into singing, perhaps. Not in this case. (laughs) 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 So it got a little vibrant, but I decided I did want to make one of those my visits and ended up going, fell in love with West Point because Mm. I I love the structure. Mm -hmm. There's something about the calling to serve that's always been a part of me and was one of those where this is kind of a no brainer. I'm going to do this. Yeah. So signed up, put on a name online, said, I'm in, let's do this. I'm going to swim and dive at West Point. There's still the chance that if I wanted to do track, it would be on the flip side of that, but no chance for basketball. So it was kind of rewarding to know there's options out there Yeah. and ended up going that path and obviously 9-11 hits. Mm. So needless to say, that was not too long after saying, I'll go. I think all of my fears that my, all of the fears my mom had were just exploding at that yeah. point. Sure. Um, but definitely served to be the best thing that I ended up going to West Point, obviously deployed uh, with the 82nd, got a mm. chance to go experience Afghanistan. So, uh, I actually lived at Camp Eggers, which is downtown Kabul, and yep. was in charge of the entire finance operation. So it was converting it wow. from a cash-based system to electronic funds and was responsible for basically making all of that happen in country. So wow. quite the experience, to say the least. <laughs>
0: yeah for sure now one thing you didn't talk about in there was your mom processing all this right not saying that she was against it but probably wasn't the biggest advocate maybe she was against it as most moms would be maybe a little protective um and you're her daughter right so she came back around and i can only imagine she ended up probably being your biggest fan and probably one of the most proudest people to see you go down that path and go down that road
1: My mom's amazing. Both my parents. I think there's so many worlds where we look at the upbringings of folks and it just, you go, ah, if there's anything I could do, I'd put a good parental figure in your life. Boy, God's grace, I got two of them. And they're absolutely amazing. And yes, huge supporters, huge advocates, always proud of what we do. And I think one of the greatest lines she ever taught me is, I will help you through anything as long as you tell me the truth. Hmm. And you'll fail, you'll be wrong, you'll do ridiculous things, which I've done all the above. But (laughs) they've always been there for me to say, all right, well, now that I know what you did, how do we recover from it?
0: (laughs) That's good. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's setting realistic expectations, right? I think that's the unfortunate thing that we probably see a lot of. And this is me projecting my opinion. But you know, a lot of parents will look at their kids and expect perfection. And that, of course, is never the case. And we we always kind of have this saying, which is, if perfection is the goal, we know you'll never attain it. But at least that's a good high water mark to try to target towards, right? So I think, but never getting there, right? No one's ever going to get there. Uh, only one person ever has. But um, you know, it's one of those situations where your parents were in a in a, in a scenario where this might have ended up being what they didn't want to happen. But um, both being big proponents of of what you ended up doing and. And man, your, your experiences uh, are unbelievable um, by my assessment. And you said about nine different things there that I think I want to go down all these different paths. So we'll see if I can remember all of them. But um, let's talk about your transition after that. So, uh, service in the Army, you were deployed. Um, I believe I've got this right. You were active for five years. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, slightly over. I, okay. So, rewinding just a hair, 06, yeah. uh, graduated from West Point and then met my husband on a rifle range. Oh. Um, yeah, so super romantic. He likes to say, I dropped my bullets and he picked them up.
0: Um, <laughs> that, that's cool. yeah. There's a Hallmark movie in there somewhere.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. And so ironically, he deployed six months after I did, but our 16th wedding anniversary is coming up. We got married on leap day of 2008 and we actually got married in Fort Bragg's hospital chapel at 12.01 AM. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah. We're, we're your stereotypical, just relaxed standard couple. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, he's, Uh, you know, I put my parents on, I put my whole family on a pedestal. My husband is just awesome. Um, So I, I will say that there's, there's something about him. That's the yin of the gang. And he's truly the reason why the company exists because he saw that I know no bounds uh, I'm unwilling to accept failure as the only option where I use it as an opportunity. And really, I think too often folks get stuck in their ways and I'm more than happy to break you outside of that box and figure out how to push your limits. Cause everybody can do something better. We just have to combat that great, greatest thing, which is fear.
0: Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's. I've heard this multiple times already during our conversation and it's it's that support system that you've got. And I know you well enough just in the short time we've known each other that you don't lack confidence. So you're you're going to make your you're going to make your way regardless but having the support system of your family as you grew up and then the support of your husband and finding like you said the yin and the yang, you guys balancing each other out, him identifying what he sees in you even if you don't see it in yourself. That's what helps to accelerate and to push forward in a way that i think a lot of people don't attain because maybe they don't have those systems or they don't seek those things out but that's such a such a great thing to hear you say and then also just giving praise to those things you know recognizing that that's kind of how you got to where you're at now at least at the speed at which you have like that's great
1: well thank you and i think all of us need to take a look back and we it's very easy to fall into a pattern of the woe is me And if you do the psychology behind it, and I'm going to misquote statistics, but a majority of your thoughts each day are negative. And then on top of that, they repeat themselves. So if you think about habit at its very core, and we have ongoing negative thoughts that repeat themselves, you have to make that conscious effort to shift. And if you do have the support system and you're willing, I mean, where is a will? There's a way. There's an opportunity to truly take that to a positive spin and run with it.
0: Yeah. So let's go back, you get out, you, you finish your time of service, which thank you so much for your service and your husband as well. Um, and then you're like, you know what I want to do? I want to go start a company. We're, we're going to go do this thing. So it's like, you know, why not take on another big challenge, entrepreneurship, um, and leverage your your skills that you have, uh, and then go in to try to start something from scratch. You know, how did that happen? How did that transition when you when you went into civilian life and take that on? What was that like?
1: Oh, sure. So happy to elaborate. Essentially, I got out of the service and knew I was pregnant with our first. Hmm. And the funny story is, it's for the first five years of our marriage, my husband and I never got a chance to actually live under the same roof. Because, (laughs) uh, yeah, he was either stationed in Ohio, I was stationed Hmm. in North Carolina. The, The whole thing was a bit of a mess. So it ended up being, hey, if we're going to have a baby, do you want to like hang out together every now and then and raise the thing together? (laughs) Um, So we decided we were going to draw straws on who got out and I intentionally held up the short one and said, hey, I'm going to draw this one just so we're on the same page. (laughs) Um, So yes, I got out, ironically found out after deployment. Um, I had, obviously you do the medical out-processing and it was just the right decision for our family for me to get out in addition to the fact that I, I have an extra vertebrae and my back's completely screwed up. So we found that out in the hard way. Oh, wow. Um, but it was one of those where you went, okay, so if you're going to transition out, what does this feel like? And I said, well, I'm pregnant, let's have a baby. What if we did a fitness thing with like a baby involved? So, like, you bench pressed your baby, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, this is good. I'm in Oh, on it this. made
1: total sense. And, yeah. um, so then the baby came out and for all of us new moms, dads out there and that thing comes out and you're kind of going, ah, um, there's a responsible someone somewhere that can make it stop crying. W- what do you do with it? <laughs> um, so that yeah. put the kibosh on that business idea. Pretty dig on quick. Although I loved it to this day. <laughs> uh huh.
0: Yeah, I do too. But yeah.
1: I, I started to go down the path of a more structured approach and said, you know what, USA Jobs, I can leverage my background. I know what I want to get into. And started to say, let's put my resume in these spaces. Mm-hmm. And that's when my husband stepped in and hence bringing him into the picture where the yin of the yang. And he said, he started a restaurant back in the day before he deployed. He's okay. always had that entrepreneurial mindset and kind of pushed that over and said, why don't you do this? I obviously know a lot of the lessons I learned. We won't start a restaurant business. Let's create something together. I know you can do it. And so here's yeah. me like, oh, all right. He thinks I can do it. Let's do it. You know? Yeah. Um, and that was the kickstart to it. So in 2011, we started brain tra- th- this brainchild of what would you say we do if we're truly trying to give people a voice and take that time that's so precious in this world and maximize it? Mm. And it came full circle. Come January, where National Guard Bureau actually said, "Hey, we need someone that'll deploy simulation software and really onboard it as a pilot project, as a pilot project for the state National Guards." So you'll have to develop the software alongside the development team. You'll have to go out and train it. You got to put the manuals together. You got to get other facilitators that can go train. Would you do that? And I said, "Well, well shoot! If I can do it as a standalone company, if you're mm-hmm. down for that." And it went that's exactly how it unfolded, making a much longer story short, to say now we're going out to all the National Guards and training a training software and then okay. building it on the flip side. So wow. kind of a unique endeavor, and anybody who's been in the service, when you serve active duty, which I was, so I served eighty second Airborne Division, then I went over to eighteenth Airborne Corps, and then I was in Special Warfare College. When you go this path of indoctrination with the army and then switch, you can still be Army, but when you put on a National Guard hat, it's a whole other set of language. Mm -hmm. So despite all of that, you go down these paths of a huge learning curve for yourself to say, does X mean Y? What is a Title 10 order relative to a Title 32? And programming it at the same time. Wow. So it really brought out that opportunity of although it felt like we were training, it gave the voice to the company of asking the hard questions of why. Why do you do it this way? What would be a barrier to entry? How do I program that in? In this case, it's another exercise inject. What happened in real life when this occurred and how do we blend that in without obviously disclosing too much? So huge opportunity to really figure out where Critical Ops was designed to help folks, hence the name. Um, It's critical that you can operate in any industry but you have to have a voice to do it
0: yeah that's crazy so is that where the origin story of the name came from then
1: yes for the most part in that i think everybody plays with the title of their company and Mm -hmm. it's funny because i don't remember other options but you look down critical ops and we operate very much in a highly regulated industry so healthcare instantly associates critical there but then the flip side of this, and if I could figure it out, amen to the person that does. There was a game that was started called Critical Ops, and it's a a, a game that's like a third-person shooting game. Okay. And I cannot beat them in social media or any sort of marketing space. We <laughs> are not them. I promise you. <laughs>
0: oh, no, this sounds like a good challenge though for twenty-four. Oh gosh. That- the 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 name now becomes affiliated and associated with with your company and your mission and everybody's like what's this game that stole their their name i don't understand
1: oh everybody will go out and google Google them and they are the first hit so it's one Mm -hmm. of those like i just heard her speak is is she like the shooting game no it's not (laughs) me i promise you
0: (laughs) not yet yeah bingo
1: i like the idea though
0: yeah no for sure yeah i do as well yeah. Interesting transition. And I think about just that evolution of the launch of the company and then it al- aligning to that specifically with your background. And then you're going into the National Guard arena and and really working in that space. And um, you talked a little bit about just the, I don't know, maybe challenges aren't the right word, but just the, the differences that existed there, and then some of the hurdles that you had to overcome and um, did you find yourself being successful out of the gate in overcoming those, or were there any stories there of kind of trials, uh, tribulations of finding your way? I don't know if there's anything you wanted to share or get into there, but I imagine some of that existed.
1: Oh gosh, I could go down any number of paths, and I think I'll go down the parenting side because, again, going back to the blessings I've had in this world, when you have your own, and I have three boys. It's one of those where you struggle, the balance always is a struggle because I love my husband, I love my children, to run a company is not for the faint of heart Mm -hmm. and when folks say, oh, are you taking, just take some time to relax, well, take some time to relax is between the hours of 10.30 at night and 4 a.m. for me because my eyes are closed. Uh So, yeah, other than that, I think it's truly the work-life balance emotionally professionally mentally physically that that's something that truly is a commitment that I don't think anybody quite masters in any way and to those that have awesome I'm jealous to say the least when I think I've got pretty good balance somebody like breaks their arm and you got to go oh okay well I guess we'll navigate that dilemma at this point
0: (laughs) I think anyone that says they found the balance is making it up (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, it, yes, it, yes. And you inflict it yourself. I mean, my silly butt decided that it was a good idea to do a round of back handspring in the back of a baseball field and broke both my, both my wrists in 21. And Thanks. to say the least, like operating like this with two casts um, for the better part of a year was, oh my gosh. I learned how to do all the audio commands and oh, really yeah. get, <laughs> but the the level, what did that teach me along with other lessons in life is that nothing's perfect going back to what we've talked about. And if you can learn to delegate, delegate with effectiveness mm-hmm. and then accept the outcome to be able to massage it and use it as a learning moment, you're doing the right thing for society along with your business and setting the example as a parent.
0: Yeah, that's a great lesson. It is a real life lesson. And I think it's one that's good to share because a lot of times you learn it the hard way. Um, as you just shared, you you had to go through that that fire to to learn that lesson. I think most of us do, but I think if you know imparting that wisdom is also very helpful because it's it's absolutely the truth. Talk about scaling. So you think about you know that transition. Um, you got the comp- company off the ground. You're, you're doing these things. Um, you know, I met you obviously in a much different arena um, in a different environment, but how did you take what you guys started and then scaled it and then started to go into different areas as well with what, what the mission was?
1: Great question. And it was one of those battles that when you read who I am and then my husband, obviously the co-founders of the company, my husband's still in the service, so he's on the joint staff today and stays in, could retire. But with three boys, the healthcare makes complete sense. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it is one of those where we got put in this training and exercise bubble because of who we are in the military. Obviously, it fell in the public footprint where we do government contracts. Okay. So it was one of those where, yes, you can continue to bid on government contracts. That's a highly competitive environment. And also one of those where it's not as predictable as you want it to be. And here's me saying from the finance side of the house, I know the full cycles. I ran the budget for the entire special warfare college. I know how that functions. It's almost impossible to master because there's always a lower bidder or there's always a different criteria that allows for that person to make a decision. So, That said, we got all of the set aside, so the service-disabled veteran-owned small business, the woman-owned small business, everything to make you successful in government contracting, but we felt as if we were missing something. Mm -hmm. And so that call to action, we kept that portion of the company going, and there's plenty of veterans out there that love that space. They want to be on the road. They want to do training exercises. They want to immerse in the environment, despite retirement. Sure. it's all of that feel that is truly made for somebody. Sure. By outsourcing that and outsourcing it, still a big part of our operation. We just have a lead in that space. But pulling myself out of that role to say, well, who am I? What do I like to do? And how do we go back to what the roots the company are? The vision statement drove us where really our goal at Critical Ops is to make technology do your work so you can enjoy life. So it was one of those where you go, okay. then the mission at that point is overcoming resistance in the workplace. So how do we attack that mission in a different capacity to achieve the vision? That's really where we branched out. So that's our government arm of saying we operate in a highly regulated industries. That's the government side of the house. We flipped over to say, what is the financial sector? What does the healthcare sector need? How does information technology play a role in all of this? Frankly, where do the 16 critical infrastructures come into play? And there's 16 different infrastructure sectors as defined by CISA. That's our model. And we focus specifically on healthcare, financial, government, and then use information technology as an undertone. And I forgot one. Forgive me. uh, Transportation. Sorry, just hit me. I'm like going, I forgot one in there. That's Transportation okay. is our other one as well.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have known. So you didn't even have to ask yourself. Okay, <laughs> <Hey>,
1: perfect. <laughs> well, I'll out myself because there's a lot of projects we're doing in that space. But yeah, that's really that. where the, I bring it together to say, how did you get in this spot? When I took myself out of the blinders to say, this is the government side, what does this side look like? It can be public, private, it can be a blend of the two. What does that feel like? I went back to the roots of Thief River to say, where does that relationship come into play? How do we still enforce high regulations, but still make a personalized connection? And those areas spoke to us. So that's where we started the pursuit, hence financial, hence the relationship to go down community banks and credit unions, because those environments embrace that grassroots feel.
0: Yeah, for sure they do. That's incredible. Um I think one of the things you you said there that stands out to me, um, and I'm sure the insiders that are listening heard that as well, which is your ability to identify something and then become laser focused on pursuing that. And I think that is in and of itself, I wanted to highlight just because that's, that's a difficult thing is to say, we see an opportunity here. We see a, a place or a space that, that you can bring value um, and bring your expertise and serve and then become laser focused and develop a process to go and then serve. That sector, or, or whatever that might be, as you walked out, healthcare, financial, transportation, these different areas, much and all very unique, and um, all very segmented as well. But to bring that same value and skill set that you guys have, and that you've been able to develop into those places, I, is something that I commend. I think it's incredible to find success not in one, but in, in all of those. Um, and of course, I met you because of your involvement in the financial space and um let's 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 say let's spend a second there um and we'll probably get into this a lot more here um over the next couple of minutes but when you identified the financial space and you referenced it the community the community banking space and i i i'd lump in community banks and credit unions to that uh, both um you know when you looked at that and you said hey i think that there is a, a place that we can bring value What was that first step? Like, how did you start to go down that path to become educated, become knowledgeable to find out how you could really bring in that value?
1: Yes. And and thank you for the compliment. That means a lot because I have the highest respect for you. So thank you. I really appreciate that. But going going to the question, whenever we moved way too often. So from the age of 18 to 38, I moved every 16 months. And that was, yeah, a lot of movement from, be it the dorm rooms at West Point all the way through. We moved 10 times in 11 years just due to military orders. So
0: Congratulations surviving that.
1: Oh, thank you. I'll (laughs) I'll take the virtual handshake. Uh, Miserable, to say the least. So if anybody needs help moving and enrolling children in different things, let me know. I have every checklist for accomplishing it. And the good news is each time you throw a lot of stuff away, so you just like condense your footprint as you go um <laughs> you, know, you have
0: to you're running lean the whole time
1: oh gosh what what a ridiculous like great experience you learned a lot from obviously but yes i'm thrilled we're not moving again i'm in ohio for here to stay <laughs> a, yeah. so every time we did move i'd go to the sba and ask them hey we're a small business where are the opportunities where should i get involved where is business most active in this area Highly recommend to any small business out there because those folks have a pulse on it. There's likely a different name for an entity to be involved in. So things like in Cleveland here, Greater Cleveland Partnership, your different chambers of commerce, there's different Mm -hmm. online portals. There's always some place you should turn to that when you ask the question, going back to the focus of critical ops, someone knows the answer and they'll point you in the right spot. So ironically, the SBA consultant in South Carolina was linked to the credit unions. And I said, right. oh, shoot, I've grown up with the credit unions. Obviously, Pen Fed's on West Point. I've had a credit union account my whole life. What, what, how are you involved? Well, he happened to be connected from the board of directors angle, but introduced me to what was called the supervisory committee. So I'm going, oh, OK, this sounds cool. I, I can mm-hmm. give this a shot. So put in an application and said, hey, I'd I'd like to be on your supervisory committee if this is an opportunity and got a call the next day. And they said, sure, ironically, we have an opening. Um, What's your background? We'll see if you qualify, et cetera. Um, I had no idea what I was walking into. So it was a great thing in terms of that was when we were still printing all the packets to walk in and I got handed a nearly 200 page board packet for supervisory committee and I'm going, Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) Can I take that back? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But have been on the supervisory committee since 16 was that and have been on it ever since. Mm. So the nerd in me, and I'm very proud of my nerdism, constantly is trying to explore what is the role of supervisory? How do they enhance the credit union? How do they enhance the experience? constantly get my hand slapped to say you're you're not responsible for marketing you're not responsible for customer retention all that stuff but it's a great experience to be on the our core operation as a credit union is obviously financial Mm
0: -hmm. if we're
1: doing okay in that space which the the credit union i'm on supervisory for is safe federal credit union we're doing great in terms of growth and our strategy what else do we need to do to continue to do great things for the industry at large So that's where I really got started in terms of a professional side of credit union operations. And then Nerd and Me came out constantly reaching out. And then obviously, I'm extremely shy, as you can tell. (laughs) So folks then said, well, you come speak on different lanes of expertise. Mm. That got me out there and speaking on topics. And then obviously talking about critical ops, talking about what we do as a specialty with new initiatives, pilot projects and full implementation. And then even down different segues like modernization and fraud and security and how are those plaguing our industry and what can you do about it
0: that's fantastic and now you found yourself traveling again
1: (laughs) 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 so we laughed about that the other day as we looked at how many nights we spent on the road and i went Boy, we, we really got to figure that one out again.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you're just not, you're not moving every 16 months. You're just, you're just traveling, you know, in, in lieu of moving, you're just traveling instead. But at least you get to come home to the same bed. So what well, I have story. to,
1: the funny story behind that is with the boys, we finally were looking at another move when we lived in South Carolina. And so I called my mother-in-law and I said, hey, you know, we're, we're facing another move we're looking at just say forget it my husband at that time was an active guard reserve which is another component of military Mm. and looked at that and said what if you get out of active guard reserve and go back to being a reservist so we don't have to move as often as we are sure and called her she said hey i'd love for you guys to live in ohio my mom obviously and dad in minnesota and i said no offense, but I'm not living in the tundra, um, but we're good.
0: <laughs> yeah. You've done your time.
1: Yeah, and so it's been a great opportunity to be on the road. We did elect to move. My in-laws live 25 minutes down the road. That We just That's tell right. them our time on the road is their chance to be immersed in their grandchildren's lives. There you go.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yep. Best support system you can have if you if you've got access to it is good family and uh, yeah we're we're very much thankful for the same thing. Ironically, my in laws live about twenty five minutes away, and so we get the opportunity to do that. And my folks live even closer than that, so they are uh, retired, which is great because you just drop the kids off, uh, and then you're like you said, what what was that phrase? You immerse yourselves in your grandkids. Is that what that yeah, was? You
1: get to immerse yourselves in yeah. the lives of your grandchildren.
0: <laughs> That's good. I, I, like I love that. it
1: though. I get because you're on the road too, where it's like you go how do I be on the road with comfort? And I think that to me is a comfort that Mm -hmm. otherwise you're stuck being with them when I'm around and who wants that go do you. I'm not going to control that environment.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, One of the things I did want to talk a little bit more about was um, just your expertise that you have shown in, in, in my capacity of seeing you operate. Um, and recently I joined you in, in one of your formats that you support. And so, um, and I don't know if you would call that a, a webinar or a live stream group that you host and, uh, about fraud and prevention and what that is. But I, I wanted to really give you an opportunity and a platform to talk about that today. And, uh, what the, what the mission of that is what really what the goals of that group are, um, you know, what, what is the audience that participates within that and, For those of the listeners that are here today, I think that might have value in in joining or participating. How would they find out more? So maybe if you wouldn't mind to kind of just walk us into that a little bit, I think that would be really valuable.
1: Oh, absolutely. So I think when we look at really the whole financial industry, we're facing so many changes and we can lump some, a lot of those into broad brushstroke topics, whether that be kind of the digital transformation and technology adoption space which obviously brings on then cybersecurity threats and regulatory compliance. We also can look at it from a different bucket where it's like, how do we remain competitive with other FinTechs and big banks and what makes us attractive when it comes to community banking and obviously credit unions. And on the third angle of that is really going down operational efficiency that we're trying to do more with less constantly. How are we doing that through digital transformation without losing our identity where do the people, process, and technology align and then loop in the other elements I just talked about in addition to talent management, retention, customer management, that retention. There's so many different trends we're looking at in 24. And as we move into all those, our greatest hindrance is truly time. Mm, that yep. anymore, our personal time, whether it be at the senior leadership level to the frontline worker, But on the flip side of that, the members, they just wanna get their money and they want it now with the least amount of friction. Yep. So time becomes this this battle. And when time is truly the battle, we don't pause to reflect. We don't pause to think about the right action. So fraud has unfortunately always been a big part of what is now, we're, we're calling out as a trend or as a lane of expertise, but when you look at fraud, and it dates back to 300 BC, check fraud introduced itself in an in a overwhelming presence in 1980. Well, it's still among the greatest fraud sources there are. Yep. So it's not that tactics are changing. They're just becoming more sophisticated. And we're moving faster to maximize time in a different space. So we're getting caught by them. Yeah. So fraud being this this thing that is just this mean beast inside of a friendly, relationship-driven world is almost ruining the smaller credit unions because one hit of fraud puts them under. And yeah. on the larger side, it's almost impossible to quantify the reputation damage inflicted from a fraud incident. Sure. And we can look at some of the big ones out there with different industries. It doesn't necessarily just have to be in credit unions. And the damage created and the amount of funding... So quantitative and qualitative output that had to be poured into the recovery side is almost surreal. So what happened? Essentially, I found out that a lot of credit unions didn't have fraud procedures. Okay. So I said, you know what? I'm, I'm happy to put some together. I'm not the expert, but I'll learn to be a big expert if you'll help me. But that requires you to put a red pen at what I go to the whiteboard with.
0: Mm. That's so I good. did a
1: lot of interviews and said, you know, what what does this feel like? Do we go down essentially the four D's of security? Do we go down emergency management themes that align with FEMA? What type of procedures best resonate knowing that we're a policy-driven industry? So those got developed. We launched a survey and said, will you give feedback? 50 people jumped all over that. And right. it, yeah, so I said, cool, this is awesome. Like, yeah. what else do we want to hear?
0: Yeah.
1: And Kuna, this was all done through the CUNA compliance community. Okay. So I asked CUNA, I said, hey, can I send up set up a monthly webinar that's designed specifically not for sales. It's designed for someone to get on and talk about the fraud space yep. and then give the credit unions a voice to what's plaguing them at that very moment. And then just throw out some events they can go to that are either in the region or or web-based. It'll be all within an hour, but at least it gives fraud a voice once a month via a recognized, known source that can be trusted. Yeah. So they said, sure. So that's really what launched is just this opportunity for fraud to be the central theme of conversation. Once a month, 10 a.m. Eastern time, you can literally just send me an email and I'll get you involved. It has to be linked to CUNA and its current state because it does fall under the CUNA compliance community. But either way, we're not shy about sharing the lessons learned. And I'll pull that out all day long because the current one right now and essentially my threads are blowing up on treasury check fraud. And it comes up yearly. It's especially bad this year because we're understaffed. And on the flip side of that, it's obviously around tax season. And then the third angle of that is the economy that Folks want their money, they need their money, and then the scamster, the scam artists have already mastered ways to fraud the system. Yeah. So now people are a little bit aware that's going on, they want to know the status of the money. So there's a greater need for transparency as well.
0: When did you launch that?
1: That started in 21. Okay, uh, in a second, yes, 21.
0: Okay. And you. And what's the best way for anyone to get a hold of you to find out more, to connect with you, to find out if they can join this group? What's the What's the best avenue for that, Chelsea?
1: Kudos to CUNA. They've set it up where essentially they've tagged it with fraud, a hashtag fraud working group, a hashtag fraud. You can see the thread. They've even made it part of the CUNA compliance homepage on the right hand side, where you can follow the streams of thought. I post the slides there every time after the event launches, and then any guest speakers. Which Jake, you did a phenomenal job. We'll post the insights from that guest speaker as well. Yeah, to get involved, jump in that thread if you want to, or send me an email if you actually want to be on the calls. I know for the West Coast folks, they've asked multiple times for us to shift it out of that 7 a.m. slot Pacific time. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't right now, but any of the above works.
0: Okay, and we can also provide a link. So all of you that are watching and listening to this now, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, a way to get a hold of Chelsea to find out more about that, to get that resource. Um, it's it's a tremendous community um and yeah it's interesting you're talking specifically about the the treasury space in in 2023 and it ended up being targeted so heavily um you you referenced a couple of things there one was the the shortage of staff to maybe you know manage that and then also just the the way that I think the bad actors are being motivated uh, based on the economy of things right now do you think those are complementary do you think one outweighs the other what What has driven and is 2023 one of the worst years that we've seen this be a a situation of fraud within that treasury space?
1: So I struggle to say it's the worst year because I'm not I'm not down to the finite detail of the facts Mm. in terms of down to the point, decimal of et cetera. Mm. I think the difference that's changed us as a society, it goes back to everything we've talked about. Everything is accessible. And I don't care who you are, where you are. If you walk into any space, it's nine times out of 10, folks can lean down to the right hip pocket or left and pull out a phone that'll tell them everything they think they should know. So when we go down the whole awareness pipeline, it's folks have that capability to share information in real time and then delete it in real time as well. So Uh it's more of a, are we more aware or was there a greater impact down to the actual statistics? And that's really where you can take it either side to to go down one path over another, but then truly knowing the exact amounts and specifics. I can't say that the analytics say the entire story, nor would I be able to relate it to something where perhaps accessibility wasn't at forefront.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's definitely a fair assessment. When you think about the environment, though, even if we are able to see, okay, we we don't know if this is the greatest year. And I also believe what you said, which is our things and it doesn't matter what we're talking about, any topic across anything. Is it worse today than ever has been? I'm like, well, we just have ways to communicate and and illuminate all this data way better than we ever have before. So, you know, by percentage, I'm not so sure that's always accurate. Um, But all that to be said, put that aside. Uh, you think about the state of things in those two areas you you referenced. I'll go back to them again, and that's just the the environment that we're we're operating in, um, the economy, and, and how that's all being affected, as well as technology influencing that. What what does your crystal ball say about the future? I mean, does your gut say it's going to get better or worse going in the next year?
1: And that's really where I think, so I wish I had the crystal ball, because, hey, Menti, I love going back to my mission, you know, like, how do I eliminate friction but greater the vision? How is technology telling me all the answers so it streamlines the whole operation? The crystal ball is difficult because we're seeing so many mergers go on right now, and that's a space I thoroughly enjoy um, because there is a ton of opportunity in that space, and it's also a sweet spot of ours as a company. So. When you look at mergers, it introduces an opportunity to pursue the strategy and strategic growth, et cetera, but it also introduces friction and change. And when you have friction and change, both need to be managed very carefully. And a lot of folks, especially in the credit union space that are going down these merger pathways because they've either been hit by fraud and can't survive the outcome, or in some way, shape or form, are looking at the trajectory and saying, There's no way I'm able to compete in this space. I can see it now. How do I beef up essentially where I'm at as my posture today to give the most to my members upon exiting? What does that feel like? That whole crystal ball is shifting the landscape. So we're having larger entities. We're at less of the small, mainly because of some of these things we've talked about, but largely because they're looking into the unpredictable crystal ball to determine their future. Yep. And I think things that like disruptive things, and I say disruptive things being the economy can be disruptive, market market volatility can be disruptive, but AI is a huge change for Mm -hmm. folks. And there's there's kind of the polar extremes in the adoption curve, where you've got the early adopters that are running with AI. Shoot, they've named AI as an as an individual employee in their company. Sure, Heather's off there running around, but that's truly AI whereas you've got the laggards over here that say, ah, can't say I trust it, so I'm not going to onboard until the full industry adopts it and mandates it. Yeah. So with disruption of that nature, looking in the crystal ball, it truly comes down to individual entities to ask themselves, how will I manage disruption in my workplace? And if I'm unwilling to consider a management strategy, perhaps I outsource it, And if outsourcing works great, if I'm not willing to outsource and I'm going to close my doors, what does a merger partner look like and why am I merging with them? And if you're not considering that they truly have onboarded an innovative mindset, then why are you merging and for what purpose? So ask yourself the why. Why am I looking at my crystal ball the way I am? What factors are influencing it? How will I allow my people, process and technology to lean in and give me feedback on what the answers are?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. A um, couple of thoughts. So I we see it as well. Um, and we've had a number of our clients either absorb other financial institutions or merge uh, or be acquired. And so those are all different dynamics and situations um and so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you for your opinion there and i don't know if you're comfortable sharing it or not you can always tell me to to uh, pass on a question. so plead the fifth if you need to but um what's your take on on mergers and acquisitions within the financial space i've got so many different opinions from different people on you know you need to hit x amount of assets to be a survivor moving forward to be relevant in the space to be competitive in the space uh, flip side of that is concerns a loss of uh, culture and the ability to serve these smaller communities, because that's why community banks and credit unions exist, is to be in a relationship scenario, which can be lost whenever you scale. What is Chelsea's opinion and take on continuing to merge and either be uh, absorbed or to absorb other institutions to, to continue to thrive? What, what's your take?
1: and thank you for pulling out the other lanes i went right down the merger path didn't even talk acquisition or absorption so thank you Mm -hmm. it is one of those where i'm all about growth in terms of when when i go down the growth side do i do i love where everything's centralized it almost feels like monopoly no i like the idea of essentially you you've got choices but when you take choices and then go to how many choices do you want and then merge into that whole idea of time management Frankly, humans function in choices of three. And there's a great commercial out there, I think it's a Ford commercial, where essentially it talks about choices of three. And if we want people to choose, either you're doing, say, P2P financing, where that's your sole function, and that's the way you're going to do your financial operation, or you're all about the big banks, because that's the way you've always functioned, and that's where you're most comfortable, or you're all down this personal side of the house, where I'm still going to go cash a check in person, because Mm. I like that feel. We need to keep our identities involved in the decision making. So Chelsea's preference, I'm all about how do I get to my money faster? So to me, I like the idea of the folks that are antiquated in their operations use. And when I say antiquated, using legacy systems, operating without clear documentation and processes, without standards in terms of submission compliance and even down to the kyc or kyb if you don't have a clear standard in that there's too many bad actors that are working hard if not harder than you are to get around the system and take advantage of you
0: yep for sure
1: so in my ideas if you're one of those and you fall in that say yep and i don't see a prediction if you're changed you need to consider an alternate option. And that's where I'm a huge supporter of this whole identity, the whole merger acquisition and acquiring phase. So down that path, I'm a supporter of it. If you're doing it for the right reasons, if you're doing it to go down the whole monopoly side of the house, not a huge fan because we like to have options as human beings.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's a great take, um, honestly. And you're right. And I think One of the things you talked on there, I want to illuminate a little further. And that is, I think we always have to assume that bad actors are moving faster than we are. Right. And so it's one of those where if you believe you're ahead, uh, you're probably fooling yourself. You just need to always assume you're trying to catch up as much as you can or protect as much as you can. So I think that's definitely a truth statement there. Um, and I also agree with what you said, we, we do like options and I think the motives have to be in the right place. So I think that was a really good way to answer that. What, what is the value that that you and, and your company bring to that arena? So, <clears throat> I know that there's a lot of um, I, I would say assistance or guidance that you guys offer through your organization. But uh, what if someone is listening in here and, and there's an insider that is attending that is in a scenario like this or maybe on the cusp, even if it's not public yet? You know what. What would be something that they might be able to engage you with that, that you guys could provide skill sets with, that you guys can provide guidance with? What does that look like from a critical op standpoint?
1: It, we like to look at ourselves it, not as consultants, which we are, and that I think anytime you get the consultant hat thrown on your head, it's difficult to navigate away from being overpriced, underperforming, high-cost things on a piece of paper. That's not we a great look,
0: mission statement, by the way. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I agree with you, but I think that is our sweet spot. And that I'll call the duck a duck. We fall victim to the stereotype of what a consultant is. Mm. The other side of that is, is a consultant is truly just providing feedback. And it's feedback and it's honest feedback. And where critical ops is different and we went down this whole path of calling ourselves consultants. so like next of kin, sure. in that Ooh, like we that. completely immerse ourselves in your operation to understand the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're comfortable doing that. And we'll call it out. We'll call it out fast. We'll call it out with quality deliverables. And we'll be on time because it goes against everything we stand for in the military to not do any of the above. Hmm. So yeah. needless to say, we take a very military-esque approach and treat it like the next mission that has to get answered and solved as fast as possible, but knowing that human lives are at stake. And that sounds that sounds aggressive. And it is aggressive, but that, like I said, our sweet spot is because if I'm working with your company, your company is the only thing you care about. Mm -hmm. And the employees that are members of your staff, their livelihoods, their children, their grandparents, their everything are all linked to that. And I've seen that from the good and positive way of looking at critical ops and what we do as consultants And in the negative way, in things like on the military front, seeing the bad actors and how committed they are because there's lives at stake. So when we go down that path of talk and bad actors are working harder, yeah, because the stakes are higher in some scenarios. Not all of them, but in some scenarios. When we put that hat on for good, yes, the stakes are high. And we're going to give you the things you deserved and have asked for. And if we can't give you the exact right answer, we're going to bring in the people that do. So that's where I would say Critical Ops knows that our quote unquote superpower is truly pulling back all the fluffy and literally hitting the root right out of Jump Street and then giving you what you've asked for. So that can be in the form of the pilot projects, the full implementation and even those new initiatives that you don't want to stand as fear factors or barriers to entry. You just want them done. You're not really sure where to start. So that's a lot of where people will call us is they, they understand that I, that we truly, I especially lead with no fear. And that's where all of critical ops staffs equip with that mentality. If you're not learning, if you're, if you're not going down the road that's a bit weavy and you got to navigate away, you're traveling straight and that's frankly going nowhere. So hit some bumps and curves, figure out where those touch points are and develop the right answer. So it is smooth sailing.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I also absolutely share that opinion. And I think if you're not... And let's be fair. And there's a lot of organizations that are successful that have existed for a long time in the financial community space that have followed a very traditional path, and it's got them to this point. I think the scary thing is, is presuming that that's also going to take them into the future, um, and it's just moving too fast to remain. And I and this is a a, a critical word, but to remain even relevant in this environment when there is so many other alternative financial partners out there that are a choice or an option. And today that doesn't even just mean brick and mortar on the street. That means digital. Um, and when you look at uh, organizations like Apple and Amazon, looking at the financial space to bring their own version of a financial institution to the market, you sure as heck better be scared. And and, and scared is probably the right word uh, to see how do we remain competitive? And then back to that word relevant again, because the straight road, as you identified, I think is no longer going to be the way to get there. And um, I had a, a business owner that I view as a mentor said, if you're not running sca- a little bit scared all the time, then uh, your, your time is sh- is going to be short. And that's because you're if you're not looking at what's new and what's next and outside your comfort zone, um, you're doing yourself. And then ultimately the people that you're serving, I think, a disservice. Um, And and I think that the balance of that is having resources available to ensure that you're doing the right things and you're listening to what others are doing and that you've got um, groups like yourself, Chelsea, to be honest, that they can bounce ideas off of and then ensure that the things they're doing are safe and secure along the way. Um, and i think that that has to balance itself out when you think about all of that all of that being said moving into the future um and this could be the value that you and your organization are bringing and then also it just could be observation that you've made or that you see um all of this is rapidly accelerating um from the way that financial institutions operate um and even regulatory situations you know if if you were to say you know in 24 25 26 what organizations should really be looking at the most to ensure you know safe and security as well as anything related to that arena you know what do you see on your short list that they should be concerned about looking at or, or at least having identity of
1: great question and i'd go down a couple paths in that each of our we've now made ourselves so diversified that it's almost impossible to say you solely service one subset and you can clearly define them with one avatar. Sure. All of us have multiple avatars that we're servicing. So where I'd start with on coming up with that customized answer for you, and I say you in terms of all the listening audience, ask. If you have taken, If you've not taken the time to ask your members, your customers, your employees, your senior staff, why are you here? You mm. don't know the right answer. And nothing I can tell you today is going to tell you that right answer, because you have not asked the people that are already giving you their money, their assets, et cetera, to be there, their time. So start there. And it's not a survey. And folks fall victim to this. Oh, I sent a survey out. My NPS is actually or whatever it is the the surveys people get through surveys as fast as they want to get through surveys and you can't tell them to slow down you can't read their mind to find eventually maybe read their mind to find out if they actually read the question and then gave you the honest answer or if they're second guessing that you're actually reading their ip address in the background to pinpoint it back to them then you're going to can them the next week so <laughs> there's too much fear and that slight element of fear is leading surveys to be skewed and i'm not mm-hmm. saying that 100 percent across the board but if you're not personally having the conversation to ask Where are you going? What's next? Why are you here? Those basic questions can give you a world of answers that you never dreamed possible and can shape the direction of where you're going. So what does that say? Where are we leaning into at Critical Ops for the upcoming year? I think that's probably the best answer to give you in terms of what's shaping that industry because we service that industry. Sure. So the biggest one we're leaning into is a bit unique. Where, if you looked at unmanned aircraft systems, which shorthand is UAS, mm-hmm. that whole space of how our drones can be a swear word in some people's eyes. <laughs> so, how are aircraft shifting the whole supply chain, delivery, transportation, even healthcare down to pharmaceutical yeah. deliveries or diversification yep. of clinical trials? It's only a matter of time before UAS takes over a stronger pull in the market and a stronger pull in how we operate mainly off of everything we've talked about people want oh. things faster they want it on their doorstep and, and frankly we we don't want to make any effort to get there or have any barrier in our way traffic's a big one so sure all the above how is uas going to change the financial industry well we're looking at it from a unique way and that uas has an impact on the workforce but on a financial operation What is our largest portfolio of loans and credit unions? Auto. So if you go down that path and you look at your auto loan portfolio and that starts to deteriorate because folks even rewind two years ago when these areas were living above the malls that area that whole idea of urbanization came about that reduced our automobile footprint and that's only scaling. So when UAS takes hold and less and less auto loans are coming out or defaulting, where do they play a space to keep credit unions and community banks relevant? That's where we're focusing in 24 to say, what impact does UAS and especially that whole ecosystem have relative to financial industries? And how does it especially help that options where maybe it's not the big banks that go after it, but it's those local entities, the community banks and credit unions, how does it help keep them relevant and survive into the next era without perhaps making a major change in their operation that they're not prepared for?
0: Yeah. Wow. Are you insinuating that the, the drone delivery service could escalate into cash delivery? I Oh, absolutely. I, I want my drone ATM to be at my house in two hours.
1: Yes, because all you have to look at is the grassroots of an ATM. Anybody can get one. You can put monopoly money in an ATM. So I think, and that's if you go, if you study the bad actors and what they're doing, and there's some great presenters out there that can tell you these use cases. The bad actors maximize the systems that exist because they know you're not paying attention. And an ATM is a huge touch point for bad actors because it's accessible and anybody can get one. So yes, I do think we're heading down that path.
0: What do you? Okay, so let's stay there for a second. What do you? What is your take on cash in general? You think we're going to continue to be a cash-driven society? And I know this is also a little bit of a United States unique thing, but um, I, I I believe cash is going away to a lot to a significant degree, but not entirely. And so I and a number of our clients are investing in automation in that area with interactive teller machines. So they're replacing or augmenting branch designs and branch layouts and you know, using a, an interactive machine to distribute cash through a, through a virtual teller so that they can find that. You're, what you referenced earlier, we believe in as well. How do you achieve operational efficiency while also improving the customer member experience simultaneously? It's a hard thing to pull both levers at the same time, but that is because cash is also changing. So do you think cash is going away?
1: I think in the long, in the long game, and I don't know what the long game is, I'm down your path. It's leading towards the path of yes, and mainly because it's not trackable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that broad brushstroke. And I think all of us in this space can say, well, yes, it is all the above. So because of that and its fluctuation in, validity, its fluctuation in the market, mm-hmm. it's unstable for folks that like a level of stability. Now, the flip side is, is how long will that take? I have no idea. And then the parent in me comes out and says, how do you truly train the value of money without the tangible asset for the kinesthetic learners. Hmm. So yeah. that whole side of youth education, I think, is what's going to keep cash around because financial literacy is, is not tremendous. And I know there's certain states that are yeah. leaning down the path of having financial literacy involved in high school curriculum as a requirement, which I think is great. Because anymore, the kids that literally, and you can watch it happen, walk into any store in USA, a child will reach for an adult's phone to tap it on any sort of payment mechanism as the payment mechanism in any store. Yeah. What has taught that individual that they need to do something to earn something behind the digital means? Yeah. So well. financial literacy, I think, will stand in the way and obviously change the timeline of cash going away because we have to keep financial literacy at the forefront for it to have value. Now, the flip side of this is also different mechanisms like blockchain, and I go down blockchain as a means for not only workforce efficiency, but workplace efficiency as a whole. So that's another lane that we're diving into big time in 24, that how does blockchain enable occupational health from essentially certification at a high school level through various training mechanisms, recognizing that the workforce bounces between a lot of jobs anymore. How do you track and trace that it's accurate and factual through the place of employment today to prevent a few things? One, making sure you get the right person you're going for, but mm-hmm. then two, avoid hiring the bad actor that presents an insider threat.
0: Yeah. Good so luck with that. So I think
1: blockchain's a bit. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a big tackle where you go, is yeah. that the answer or is it a potential solution for some? So, right. yes, definitely a space where blockchain can change the space. Obviously, cryptocurrency being linked to that, another potential elimination of cash through crypto. But again, the trust factor lies within that solution as well.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we we see it from our unique perspective. Uh, if I'm speaking at Anvo, you know, uniquely and just, you know, we're all about collaboration tools, whether that's video or chat or text and um, all of those scenarios to enhance or accentuate. Any communication channel that a financial institution has deployed, and a lot of it is also layering in those. How do we, you know, create multi-factor authentication or different means of um, identification confirmation and eliminating or reducing the potential for bad actor, you know, scenarios to exist? And proof of identity means something completely different now. And how to how do we make sure that those things are tools that are available to make these these community institutions successful? And I think you're absolutely right. I Also agree with your perspective on the future. Um, I think that's spot on. What what is what does innovation look like next for for your company? So look at critical ops, and so you think about the future. And you talked a lot about the value you bring today. How you've kind of got the company to this point. Tease a little bit about the future, but what what are you looking to? Are you are you identifying new areas you're going to go into? Are you bringing new areas of expertise to the financial space? What, what what does the next chapter look like for Critical Ops?
1: Oh, exciting and also scary. Like you said, lead forward with a little bit of fear, you're doing okay. Yeah. Um, and I wanna rewind to what you're doing at Info Solutions. I love it. I think when you present what you're doing and the focus of where you're going and how you're truly digitizing what can be digitized without losing that personal relationship, I absolutely love it. And I think that's where we hit it off when we first met Mm. to basically say, you've really read into where society is going and you're leaning forward, presenting, yes, disruptive ways of doing it that are highly attractive to those of us already leaning down that path, yet not capable of creating what you've already created. So it gives that chance for those of us that are pushing down this path to say, is that your superpower? And are you leaning into that space? No, is Invo Solutions creating it and doing it? Yes. Link up. Mm. And that's probably a big push where you say, where is Critical Ops going into the future? Yep. It's down those paths to say, there's only so much time in a day. Where are you going to spend those 10 minutes? How are you truly going to lean into technology doing a portion of your work for you so you can enjoy the time you have? But at the same time eliminate some of this workplace resistance because talent is of the premium and i have no idea where everybody went but good night we find another person on this planet that wants to come to work so critical ops is less about innovation going into this next year more about what we finally have created as the voice for the company and it took us a few cycles to go through critical ops like i shared with you and bring in training and exercise and and putting us into that public sector, to branching out and saying, we service highly regulated industries, we know what we're doing, we're able to jump in without disruption, but more importantly, impact, and finding our sweet spot. That took five years on this end, five years on this end. This upcoming year, we're leaning forward to say, yes, the few things I've talked about, what place does UAS play in financial industries, healthcare, transportation, how does it influence them? Where does blockchain play a role? Not necessarily from the crypto side, but more importantly, in terms of workplace efficiency. And then truly leaning forward to say, how do people know what we do in a highly competitive consultant space? Mm. Because when I say pilot programs, when I say new initiatives, when I say full implementation, it's difficult for people to lean out and say, what do you mean? Mm. So if I can get more people this upcoming year to lean out and say, what do you mean? Do you mean that you'll design and implement a pilot program that's tailored to my needs at my bank and my credit union? The answer is yes. Let's sit down and chat. So that's it's good. things like that where I'm hoping this year less about innovation, more about more inbound, inbound solicitations, so to speak, to say, is sure. this what you're saying you do? That would be a win for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think that's fantastic. I think it's going to get you there. It's going to get you where you want to go. Uh okay. hard to believe that uh I've already wasted an hour and a half of your time basically. I loved it. So, <laughs> yeah, um and I think I could probably go another hour and a half, but um our, our teams would probably be upset that we spent that much time in video recording today. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to end with a new question that I'm going to ask uh, my guests on these special editions. So Um, And you didn't know this was coming, so I'd love to get your complete, raw response and answer. Is there anything that Chelsea as a person has identified as an area for growth or change in the upcoming year that you want to tackle personally?
1: Where should I start? (laughs) And, and Jake, thank you for this. I've loved it. I feel like I've done nonstop talking, so if anything folks are to say... Next time you get her on, like force her to limit her answers, to, like five minutes. Each oh No, <laughs> no I'm,
0: I'm growing awareness of the greatness that you can bring. And so I, I'm excited because I know everyone's going to want to find ways to connect to you. And we'll, we'll talk about that before we're done.
1: Well, thank you. And I think that the what is my goal, and it's actually been, sadly, we started New Year's Resolutions years ago, and great timing in terms of this podcast where it's falling on New Year's Resolution time. Sure. And I wrote them down years ago, which was really, we had a space where we're going to go to church at least once a month. That was a standing, standing Catholic in us coming out of us. Love it. You have to work out 300 days of the 364. Ooh. So not a lot of, and workout can mean like you chose to do yoga. Sure. Um, You have to do community service to the tune of eight hours a quarter, which we overperform because we volunteer coach for way too many things. And if you need a baseball enthusiast, just call my husband. He's got you covered. (laughs) Um, But the fourth was really the 50-year plan. And we drew the 50-year plan and have lived it to the extent you can with plenty of barriers in the way. Okay. Part of the 50-year plan that I've religiously failed on is taking 20 minutes a day and not related to the other three to just figure out who you are. Wow. So from the Chelsea angle, I'm a huge nerd. I love to read. I can't tell you the last time I picked up a book that Mm. didn't have a purpose behind reading it. Okay. Other than like at nighttime reading with my kids. Sure. So it's one of those where that 20 minutes, my goal in the coming year is to say 20 minutes to just stop, do something without a purpose. And I'm going to try to be better about saying I'm going to do it every day. And actually put an attainable goal out there, like maybe once every two weeks or something like that. And I've got a couple days to figure it out still. But what is that 20 minutes in terms of frequency, and how do I actually do it as part of the 50 year plan?
0: Wow. That's great. I don't think I've ever heard the 50 year plan ideal before, and I love that. I think that's That's fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is. That is a great one. And I love how it's all linked into the family too. Like you guys have committed to these things and you're sharing these things and you're, you're chasing those goals together, illuminating the goals. I think accountability is a great thing when you have goals in place. So I think that's wonderful. Well, thank, no, thank you for being you. vulnerable and sharing your goals for the upcoming year.
1: Oh, thank you. I want to hear yours too. If you're, or are you saving that for a grand announcement?
0: Yeah. You know, my goals there would be no grand announcement. Believe me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm a very routine driven person. And so like, you know, I, I like to know what's next. I like to have a, a, a very structured environment around what I do on a, on a monthly, a weekly and a daily basis. And, um, you know, a lot of travel can throw that off, um, at different cycles within the year. Um, things that I can't control, which are okay, but, um, you know, our, our time commitment to organizations like the church that we serve as well as the company that, that I'm responsible for. and, And then the family, you know, that is the most important to me. And how do you, how do you make all that work? And I, I do believe that good schedules and timeliness for me is, uh, what helps me to be, um, I at least stay on track from, from my perspective of what staying on track means. And, um, throughout the year I found in 23 that, kind of the schedule I had in place was unattainable and have kind of lost control of that to some extent. So um, I'm looking to find better ways of being more effective and efficient. And so for me, it's really going to be redefining what my schedule looks like. And I'm in the process of of really kind of looking at that right now. And and my plan is to uh, have it in place by the time that uh, next week rolls around. And um you know for me working out is one of my most important things every single day and uh, I like your 300 out of 365 days and that has almost become a a a piece that I've let slip recently and uh that's very unlike me and it and it affects both physical and mental as well as emotional in my opinion so I think it it hits all of those things and so I'm going to go back to reprioritizing that a little bit uh so we'll see if we can accomplish that but next time we talk I'll give you an update on those things
1: Oh, I love it. You've even got the bonus in there for leap day this year. So don't worry. <laughs>
0: <bit>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I need all the grace I can get.
1: There you go. Uh, yes. Well, I love accountability.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. For sure. Well, Chelsea, this has been a delight. Um, I've enjoyed this time immensely. And I know all of our insiders that have joined today have also enjoyed it immensely. Um, we're going to share out ways to get a hold of you and in touch with you in the show notes as I as I shared earlier. Um, also would highly encourage anyone here to go connect with Critical Ops as well as Chelsea on LinkedIn, um, very active in that arena, would love to probably build that network. So I would encourage you to go connect with her there. And then also I could have, have all of my insiders advocacy to lean on Chelsea to uh, join us in person for our Invo Summit in September of 24, because I think the more of us that uh, put the pressure on her, the likelihood of her attending will be increased significantly. So um, I'm going to rally the troops on that one. And I'm not even going to give you a chance to respond. We're just going to make that happen. So, um, yeah, yeah. Chelsea, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go?
1: No, thank you so much. And to all the listening audience, you can do it. Attack 24 with vigor. you got it.
0: (laughs) I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, Chelsea. Look forward to talking to you soon. Insiders, have a great day, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.